0: Hello everyone and welcome to the October 22nd edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I am John Castro, a Workers' Compensation Hearing Representative with Floyd's Care Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. A new WCAB panel decision confirms that permanent disability apportionment has a two-pronged test. Here's what happened in the case of Stefan Hahn versus the city and county of San Francisco. Steven Hom, a San Francisco police officer, suffered an initial industrial injury to his lumbar spine in 2012 in a prior case. The parties in the prior case settled with a stipulated award in the amount of 20% permanent disability. The award was based on the findings of the PTP Dr. William Campbell, who used the DRE method of the AMA guides to determine the rating. In 2013, Officer Hom suffered a second injury to his lumbar spine when he was struck by an oncoming vehicle while on traffic duty. Dr. David Pang, who served as the AME in this second case, utilized the ROM method of the A.M.A. guides to rate the whole person impairment at 14%, which adjusted upward to 30% PD. The primary issue at trial was whether to allow subtraction of Hom's prior 20% PD award from his current PD level of 30%. The WCJ found that apportionment between the two injuries was not applicable in this case and reconsideration was denied in the panel decision. The employer argued that the WCJ should have subtracted the 20% permanent disability from the first award, And from 30% PD in the second per the apportionment rule set forth in Labor Code Section 4664B. The Labor Code section provides that if the applicant has received a prior award of permanent disability, it shall be conclusively presumed that the prior permanent disability exists at the time of the subsequent industrial injury. However, case law has repeatedly held that defendant has a two-pronged burden of proof regarding apportionment under the Labor Code provision. The defendant must first prove that a prior award to the same body part exists and must also prove that there is an overlap of permanent disability between the initial and subsequent injury. This legal standard was set forth in 2006 Court of Appeal case of Copying v. WCAB. In Copying, the Court of Appeal provided an extensive analysis of the seemingly contradictory language and came up with the only interpretation that made sense to them, which was the defendant has a two-pronged burden of proof. The burden of proving overlap is part of the employer's overall burden of proving apportionment. The WCAB affirmed this two-pronged analysis in 2014 panel decision of Laster v. City and County of San Francisco. Turning to Officer Hahn's case, the first injury was rated using the AMA Guide's DRE method, and the second injury was rated under the AMA Guide's ROM method. Unfortunately, the AME Dr. Pang did not explain how factors of the DRE method overlap the ROM method. Thus, the employer did not meet the burden of proof. The Court of Appeal ruled that an uninsured subcontractor on a construction site must repay contract payments by the general contractor after discovery of the lack of workers' compensation insurance. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of B.A. Retro Incorporated versus D.L. Falk Construction Incorporated. In 2013, D.L. Falk Construction Inc. entered into a contract with the Central Contra Caustic Sanitary District under which Falk was to be general contractor on district seismic improvement project. B.A. Retro Inc. was a subcontractor on a project and began sending workers to the project from the union hall. At the conclusion of the project, Retro sued Falk for $260,000, the amount it claimed Falk owed on the balance of the subcontract. This was in addition to the $440,000 Falk had been paid by Retro on the contract by that time. During litigation, Falk learned that Retro had begun work on the job at a time when it did not have workers' compensation insurance, the effect of which was and caused an automatic suspension of its license. At the time of the subcontractor, with Falk, Retro had an exemption from workers' compensation insurance, which exemption is available only if the contractor had no employees. The case proceeded to a court trial on the licensure issue as a defense to the contract balance, and a cross-complaint by Falk for restitution of $440,000 it had previously paid on the contract. The court ruled against retro and entered judgment against retro and retro appealed and the court of appeal affirmed the trial court in the unpublished case. The contractor's licensing law provides that no person engaged in business or acting in the capacity of a contractor can bring an action for compensation for work requiring a contractor's license if the person was not properly licensed at all times during the performance of the work. The law also permits a person who utilizes the services of an unlicensed contractor to bring an action for disgorgement of all compensation paid to the unlicensed contractor. The California Supreme Court has acknowledged that the statute, while punitive, is necessary to protect an important public policy. Two Illinois-based nonprofit risk pools who provided more than 203 Public entities with workers' compensation and employee health care insurance filed a joint lawsuit against opiate drug makers and distributors. In its first opiate lawsuit, brought by insurance risk pools in Illinois, the Intergovernmental Risk Management Agency and Intergovernmental Personal Benefit Cooperative seek financial compensation from defendants to recoup substantial costs resulting from the impact of the overprescription and abuse of opioid medication. Costs include vast expenditures on hospitalization due to overdose, addiction treatment services, and overdose reversal medications. And millions of dollars paid in workers' compensation involving injured workers who were unnecessarily given long-term opiate prescriptions to treat chronic pain. The 217-page civil complaint alleges that the defendant's plan to flood the Illinois market with opioid medication worked. In 2015, 8 million opioid prescriptions were filled in Illinois, the equivalent of 60 prescriptions per 100 people. The lawsuit is the latest step in a proactive multi-pronged strategy the two agencies have enacted to address and reduce opioid abuse in their members' employees' communities. As a taxpayer-supported health insurance provider to public entities across Illinois, they claim they have a fiduciary obligation to aggressively seek to recoup the millions of dollars in claim costs that have been wasted due to overprescription of opioid medications and addiction treatment. And now, our crime report. A federal grand jury has indicted South Bay doctor and PQME, Vincat Achi, charging him with distributing hydrocodone outside the scope of his professional practice and without a legitimate medical need. And with health care fraud related to the submission of false and fraudulent claims regarding the health care benefits, this charge was also attached. Achi listed on the DIR database as a PQME in physical medicine and rehabilitation with offices in San Jose and Campbell, California. He entered a plea of not guilty at disarrayment and was released on bond. If convicted, he faces a maximum 20 years in prison and a $1 million fine for each of the six distribution counts and additional 10 years in prison for the insurance fraud count. This prosecution is a result of an investigation by the DEA, FBI, HHS, OIG, and the California Department of Justice bureaus of medical fraud and elder abuse. And in regulatory news... California's Labor Enforcement Task Force is a coalition of California state agencies formed in 2012 to combat the underground economy. The task force operates under the direction of the Department of Industrial Relations and conducts monthly inspections in high-risk industries. This month, the task force discovered safety violations during targeted inspections that put workers in immediate danger and issued orders shutting down dangerous machinery at four car washes and three manufacturing businesses in Southern California. At the four car washes, task force inspectors discovered that industrial water extractors for towels did not have functioning interlocking devices to stop the machine when the door is unlocked or open. Inspectors issued a stop order to Pasadena Auto Wash, Baldwin Park Hand Car Wash and Star Auto Spa in El Monte and Fair Oaks Car Wash in Altadena. Inspectors also cited Baldwin Park Hand Car Wash $6,000 for violation of child labor laws after finding minors working in dangerous occupations. Eminent safety hazards were also discovered when inspecting three manufacturing companies in Santa Ana and inspectors issued orders to shut down woodworking table saws that were not properly guarded. Inspectors also issued stop-work orders and cited two of the companies for failure to maintain workers' compensation insurance. The WCIRB has released the World of Cumulative Trauma Claims Report, which focuses on workers' compensation claims that result from repetitive activities over a period of time. CT claims have always been a part of the workers' compensation system, but recently the proportion of claims involving CT has increased sharply and claim rates differ significantly across the regions of California. While the proportion of CT claims has typically been higher in the Los Angeles basin, these rates were also showing a similar pattern in San Diego. CT claims in other regions of California have declined and are lower than the 1998 levels. Beginning in 2008, construction CT claims increased in the Los Angeles Basin and has accelerated in recent years to be four times the 207 lows. Los Angeles Basin CT rates in manufacturing diverted from the rest of the state starting in 1999 and accelerated rapidly starting in 2012. The percentage of all trade industry indemnity claims from the Los Angeles Basin has also increased, which is partially attributable to the increase in the CT claims. The vast majority of indemnity claims in the information industry are from the Los Angeles Basin. Unlike other industries, CT rates in the information sector across California regions have been cut in half from the high in 2004. CT claims have increased significantly in the Los Angeles Basin real estate industry and in 2016 are four times the 2008 level. The proportion of CT claims in the administrative industry is increasing across regions of California, though at a faster pace in the Los Angeles Basin. The ratio of arts and entertainment CT claims in the Los Angeles Basin reached a historical high of 15% in 2015, but shows some indication of decline in 2016. Beginning in 2008, the ratio of CT claims in the Los Angeles Basin hospitality industry increased significantly, more than doubling through 2016. Growth in the Los Angeles Basin CT claims from the large industry is one of the most significant drivers of the overall recent growth. The full report available on the WCIRB website continues to report similar data supporting the conclusion that there is indeed a CT epidemic in the Los Angeles basin. According to a new study out from the Oregon Department of Consumer and Business Services, workers' compensation premium rates fell considerably nationwide, while California continued to see among the worst rates in the nation. The department puts out its Oregon Workers' Compensation Premium Rate Rankings Summary Report every two years. This year, California was behind only New York as the state with the highest index rate. New York was in third place in the prior study two years ago and moved up to the worst in the nation, which resulted in California moving to second worst. But the California Department of Workers' Compensation, which has touted the success of system-wide changes that have been ongoing over the past six years, took issue with the state's ranking. A statement provided by a DWC spokesperson said that Oregon's study is based on the industrial mix in their state and does not reflect actual costs in California workers' compensation system. Among the most costly states, New York was the worst-ranked state, followed by California, New Jersey, Alaska, and Delaware. Oregon ranked 46th along with North Dakota, Indiana, Arkansas, and West Virginia were some of the top-ranked states with the lowest index rates. The DWC has posted a revised version of the Workers' Compensation Information System California Electronic Data Interchange Implementation Guide for first and subsequent reports of injury on its rulemaking forum. California's WCIS uses electronic data interchanged to collect comprehensive information from claims administrators to help the Department of Industrial Relations oversee the state's workers' compensation system. This information helps facilitate evaluation of the system and measures adequacy of benefits for injured workers and their dependents and provides statistical data for research. The revised implementation guide contains updates and corrections to the first reports of the injury and subsequent reports of injury reporting rules of the current version that took effect in March of 2018. The proposed changes address the manner of transmitting data to WCIS, the filing of subsequent reports of injury, and requirements for specific data elements and data edits. The forum can be found on the DWC forum webpage under current forums and in medical news as Apple pushes deeper into healthcare with the Apple Watch the company is developing a plan to help other people who are recovering from knee and hip replacement surgeries. Apple announced a partnership with medical device company Zimmer Biomet to combine a new app along with health tracking data from smartwatch to help determine why certain patients recover faster than others from the procedures. Apple has its sights set on the $3 trillion U.S. health industry sector and is continuously exploring medical applications for the watch, most recently adding an FDA-cleared EKG sensor. When it comes to orthopedics, more than 1 million Americans get knee and hip replacements every year, and Zimmer Biomets is among the biggest manufacturer of reconstructive products. Apple and Zimmer Biomet have created a mobile app called My Mobility, which aims to help guide patients through their surgery to improve their experiences as well as their health outcomes. It includes educational resources, exercise videos, and ways for patients to contact their surgeon and care team with questions and concerns. The Apple Watch will track steps and heart rate data allowing patients to share that information with their doctors to provide a clearer picture of how they are doing after surgery to analyze potential setbacks. Apple and Zimmer Biomet are hoping to enroll 10,000 people in the U.S. study. The app is initially available only to patients who enrolled in the study, but it will eventually be rolled out to everyone. Fitbit has also looked at using its fitness trackers to monitor patients after surgery. Zimmer Biomet CEO said that the partnership with Apple marks one of the largest evidence-gathering clinical studies In orthopedic history. Apple chief operating officer Jeff Williams said in a separate statement that the new app lets patients and doctors connect in a way that was not previously possible through traditional in-person visits. The study is the second of its kind for Apple. In September 2017 the company kicked off its heart study in partnership with Stanford University testing to see if it could detect a type of heart health irregularity called atrial fibrillation. Given the age of the population, the number of people who receive knee and hip replacement surgeries is expected to rise in the coming years. In another medical use for the Apple Watch, the company said recently it is donating 1,000 watches for a new study to track binge eating. It's no secret that the world is growing accustomed to the business of cannabis, but for 9.6 billion Canadian medical marijuana producer Canopy Growth, The future is approaching faster than many expect. Canopy announced that it had shipped cannabis to the United States from Canada for medical research, a milestone in the U.S. government's acceptance of what it considered to be a Schedule I drug. The DEA-approved partnership, which has not yet been announced, can actually begin to do medical research and clinical trials if necessary. Canopy's news comes less than one month after competing Canadian marijuana producer Tilray announced DEA approval to import cannabis to the United States for medical research at the University of California San Diego Center for medical cannabis research. California is one of the eight states to fully legalize marijuana for its recreational use. 30 US states currently have laws legalizing medical marijuana use in some form. Today, the world has its eyes on Canada where full legalization of adult marijuana use took effect on October 17th. Canopy is also the first cannabis company to be listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So that's all our news and events for this week. So please check in on our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcast and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. We also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on Amazon. Again, I am John Castro in the capacity of Hearing Representative with the Law Offices of Floyd, Scarin, Manukian, and Langevin. And thanks for joining us today. And drop by again next week for more news.